on those two trips this summer. And if you haven't gone on one of those global outreach trips, you need to. Next summer, we're planning again to go to Mexico and Estonia. So you can start thinking about it, uh, planning it now. It's going to be awesome. I, I love in that video, especially in the, in the first part, when Kristen and Nick shared how they shared their story. And when they shared their story, it really resonated with people and made an impact. And I love that, Kristen. Thank you for doing that, you know, being willing to talk about losing a spouse. And then somebody else, they hear that story and they're like, whoa, I need help because... I've been thinking about death as well and, and what that means. And, and that's what happens with our stories. When we are willing to share our story, it sticks. It's powerful. It's something that sticks with people. More than almost anything else, we stay. Stories are powerful. Stories are powerful. There was a journalist um, back in 2009, Rob Walker, wanted to test the power of stories. So he went on eBay and he bought... Um, 200 different random items that all averaged about a dollar each. Okay, just a whole bunch of items that were super cheap stuff, um, like a, an old wooden gavel, um, like a plastic banana, um, just random stuff, an old plastic motel key. He just bought all these random things. They averaged about a dollar each. And then he went and found 200 authors, and he asked them to write a story about the item. Just, just make up a story about where this item came from, its origin, or, or how it was used, or whatever. And so he got back 200 stories. Then he took those items and reposted them on eBay. But this time in the description, had the story for each of the items. Let me show you an example of one of these items. Um, he, right up here on, on the screen, you can see this beautiful horse's head, right? What a great bust, right? Doesn't somebody want that on their mantle? He took that. And he had bought it originally for 99 cents. There's a story put up when it was reposted on eBay, and it sold for $62.95. But it wasn't just this one item. Of the 200 items, they were bought for $129 total. Okay, keep that in mind. $129 for 200 different items. And they sold for nearly $8,000. In case you're doing the math, that is a 6,200% increase. Okay, that is impressive, right? And the only difference was the story. See, stories stick. Stories stick. Whether it's the emotions with the story or us getting caught up in the idea of what's going on there. But whatever it is about stories, we love stories. Human beings like stories. I heard one professor who's brilliant He's a brilliant um, philosopher, and um, econo he, he's an economist, so you think he'd like numbers, right? Daniel Kahneman, and he says that if you want to convince someone's mind, don't give them a, uh, a number, give them a story. That's what he says, because stories stick. Stories stick. Facts may fade, but stories stick. They stick with people. They're powerful. And in this whole series, we've been talking about sharing our faith because we want to help people follow Jesus. We want them to find the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, nothing is more powerful than your story. And your story may lead to someone's salvation. Your story could lead to someone's salvation. And that's why story is so important. So we've been in a series now. This is our fifth week and final week of this series. Next week is the meal pack, and then we're starting a really cool new series right after that about a new vision series for our church. It's going to be awesome on September 18th. 
But this series is based on a book. We got the idea from this book, Blessed, by Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson. It's five everyday ways to share your faith, to love your neighbor, and change the world. Five everyday ways. Because we're so intimidated about sharing our story. We're like, what if they don't like it? What if they think I'm arrogant? What, what if they think I'm pushing my faith on them? And all, all these different reasons we, we give ourselves so that we don't share our faith. It's hard to do. We're scared. And this book is just, hey, here's five simple things to do. We learned in the first week that just begin with prayer. Start praying that God would give you people around you to get to know. Just pray for that. I talked with somebody last week at the Splash Bash. They said, we'd never prayed anything like that, but we just said, hey, God, help us meet our neighbors. She said, and that night they all came over. Like all of our neighbors came over and we hung out with them for hours. I was like, awesome. Because when you begin with prayer, God's like, yeah, I've been waiting. Like, why haven't you been asking? So begin with prayer is the first one, B. And then L is to listen, to take some time to get to know their story. Hear from them. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your spiritual background? So listen, that begins to build an empathy and a compassion in us for these other people. And then week three, we learned eat. Eat, right? Because this is a great way to deepen relationships, just to eat meals with people. Man, I like that. That sounds great. Eat. And the fourth thing is to serve, to actually do something to help another person. And then finally, today, we're going to talk about story. Now, I do have to tell you guys a follow-up from last week. Last week on the serve message, I talked about my neighbor who's, you know, we had those raccoons that were like tearing over the trash can and putting trash all over the ground. And there was like a Sunday morning when I went and cleaned up the trash can. And that had happened a few months back. Well, that was last Sunday I told that story. On Monday morning, I was finally getting back to the gym. I haven't gone since COVID, right? I'd like to say I was afraid of germs, but that's, I'm human, right? That's, but I was finally going back to the gym. I was meeting someone there at 6 a.m., so at 5.50, I'm getting in my Jeep to pull out, and what did I see? Trash all over the ground from my neighbor's trash can. And I was like, oh. I was like, it's so early. If I drive to the gym in an hour from now, then I can pick up, right? I got my friend waiting. I had every excuse why not to do it, right? I was like, I think this is a test right? I better do this, okay? I just told everybody I served my neighbor by picking up their trash. So I got down and picked up the trash and was thinking, oh, uh, you know, nothing of it. Later that day, when I got home from work, I was pulling into my driveway again, and my neighbor poked his head out the back door. He's like, hey, Matt. And I was like, hey. He's like, did you clean up my trash this morning? I don't know how he saw it. I don't know if he has like a ring camera or something. I don't know. Or I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, thanks for being a good Samaritan. I was like, what? I was like, because I literally, the first time I did it, because I had been reminded of the story of the Good Samaritan. I was like, I got to help. So it was just crazy. Like, people notice when we serve. Like, it makes a difference. I'm still working on this guy. I'm still sharing the good news of Jesus, hoping that he will have his life transformed by Jesus. Uh, I do believe that God could do that. Um, so, so serving works, okay? It catches people's attention. Nothing counts like costly service we talked about last week. But the, the fifth and final step in this series is to share your story because your story is powerful. Your story will stick with other people. And even if they don't accept Jesus that single day, right? So we, we would love that, right? If they could say the prayer, raise their hand, you know, in church, the first time we bring them, you're like, awesome, sit, got that soul saved, okay? But it will stick with them. It will stick with them. And we're going to learn that today from a story um, that comes in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, as we see someone who has a very powerful story about how Jesus transformed their life. So in John chapter 9, if you have your Bible open up with me there, or you can pull out your smartphone or tablet or online, just open up another tab or browser and go. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, 
on the bottom right-hand corner, it says more. Click that, and then you can find events for Arise Church Denver. There's all the scripture and notes that we're taking for our message today in this series, or in this message called Story. So we're going to start in John chapter 9, verse 1. In verse 1, we read, As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, or I'm sorry, a man blind from birth. Jesus is walking, as he did with his disciples, They're always on the move, and because they're always on the move, they're running into people. And this time, they run into a blind man, meaning he's probably begging on the side of the road. And it says this man was blind from birth. So this guy had something. He had something. He had something that maybe had lasted his entire life, that physically he could not see. But even beyond the the physical difficulties that this man had in his life, it comes with some emotional difficulties as well. Because in that culture, if you were blind, they thought that the Jewish people would have thought, you must have sinned to become blind. God's curse on you. But even worse than that, this man was born blind, so it was his parents' sin. And there's actually a debate about whose sin caused this man to be blind. And we're not going to get into the theology of that, which is false, okay, all of that idea. It's not how God works. But this man would have dealt with the stigma of that. Everywhere he goes, he's a social outcast. And because of that, in those days, there were no schools for the blind. That's actually a very recent thing in in human history that's been created. And if you look at its origins, it's because of Christians, okay? But it's not a normal thing. If people had a physical handicap like that, they just... Got some pulsing light on there. If, If people were born blind they wouldn't have received an education at all. Social outcasts, therefore, without an education, can't get a job. He doesn't have any choice but to be a beggar. And still, people stigmatize him. Could you imagine the emotional and psychological turmoil this guy has? Talk about mental health issues, right? I can't imagine what was going through this guy's head at any one moment, and there he is. And this man certainly has issues that would have been visible to others, But I say this because there are many people, men and women and teenagers and children around us all the time who have stuff. They're dealing with something. Whether you can see it or not, people deal with something. It could be a physical impairment or something about their physical appearance that they're walking around with all the time thinking about. Will people accept me? Will will they like me? Will they reject me? It could be something psychological or emotional. Maybe they just went through a tragedy and lost someone in their life. Maybe it goes back years. You don't even know about it, but their mom left them when they were just a kid. And they're still dealing with that. Will people accept me and love me? See, everyone around us, I do really mean that, everyone around us is carrying something. They're all carrying something. And whether we see it or not, that's up to us. Now, people might not acknowledge that they have something, but they do. Everybody's got something. We started working on our Christmas planning a couple weeks ago. Yes, we do that in August, okay? We got to get ahead of the game. Christmas planning in August. And we were like, how do we reach unchurched people to come on Christmas Eve? And somebody was like, well, you know, it's really hard to reach unchurched people because they all think they're fine, like life's good and everything. And I'm like, yeah, we're never going to reach those people. It's people who are hurting that are open to Jesus, And everybody's hurting whether they're going to acknowledge it or not. Whether they're going to acknowledge that they're walking around with anxiety and depression that sometimes is debilitating, that's up to them. But let me tell you, Jesus found hurting people. Have you ever noticed that? 
Jesus found a whole bunch of hurting people. And those are the people who came to him. The people who thought they were fine, the healthy, we saw that a couple weeks ago, the healthy, they were like, ah, I don't need Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy, for the healthy. So I want us to just be aware there are sick people around us all the time. There are people dealing with emotional issues and mental issues and psychological issues, things that go back years, decades, some that they've been dealing with their whole life. There are people that are hurting around us. And that's why our story could stick with them. Jump down now to verse 7. We're going to skip the theological stuff. But in verse 7, Jesus finds this man and he says, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Do you guys see that? Go. And wash. But I want you to look at verse 6. This is really interesting. Before he tells him, how to get healed. This is what he says. After saying this, he spit on the ground. Did you guys notice that? Before he tells him to get washed and be healed, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And then he went to get washed in the pool. (laughs) What do you guys think about that? In order to reenact this, I need a volunteer who can come up on stage. Nobody? Nobody wants to volunteer? Oh, it's Isaac. Look at this guy. I'm kidding. You don't have to come up. Man, Isaac is in for anything. I love this guy. Okay, yeah. Just near. I joke, but earlier this year, there was a pastor in Oklahoma who did that. Brought a volunteer on site, spit in some mud, and rubbed it on the guy's eyes. People were disgusted. It went viral. People were tweeting about it that aren't even Christian, right? He had to do a public apology. That's how disgusting what Jesus did is, Okay? It's not like back in the day, like if you look at the historical context, spitting in mud and rubbing it in someone's eyes was normal. It wasn't. It was disgusting. And on top of that, it was probably like unclean. Like there's a spiritual element to it. Okay, it is absolutely disgusting. That's why like John records it. He's like, everybody knows about this craziness. Jesus is crazy. Spit in the mud, rubbed it in his eyes. And then said, okay, now go wash in the pool. So we'd have to walk farther. Like it's not like, hey, I got some water right here. We can just rinse that right off, that disgusting saliva no he had to go find the pool get dunked and then he was healed now this is a bizarre story why did jesus heal this way doesn't really tell us doesn't tell us because jesus healed in all sorts of other ways there are times where he touched someone and they were healed there are other times where he just spoke a word and someone was healed. didn't even involve any physical touch at all. There are other times there's one woman who reaches out and grabs the train of Jesus' robe and she's healed. It's almost like he wasn't even involved. It's just like this power just went out of him. So Jesus could have healed in all sorts of different ways, right? So why did he spit in the mud and rub it in this guy's eyes? It should cause you to scratch your head a little bit. I've been thinking about it. And I want to give you my theory... Because it's just a theory. We don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us. But this is what I think. Because this is the one and only time that Jesus does this. Because this story is recorded because this man, this blind man, goes out and starts telling his story. It's unique, right? It's one of a kind. But also, I think people would have thought, well, what did you do to heal your eyes? How did it happen? See, everybody wants to know how when there's a miracle in your life. When something changes about your life and and you're like, this is the way I was before and now this is the way I am now, they're like, how did you change? Like, what new habits did you develop? 
when you had that healing happen, did you go to a new chiropractor, right? This is what people want to know. Like, what essential oil are you using? When Melissa and I were dealing with infertility, and, and now we have three kids, okay, people were like, well, what happened? You know, as we were going through it, people had all sorts of hows to do it, right? They would tell us, like, drink this juice, okay, you, you got to go see this doctor and try this medical thing, try this position, and we're like, whoa, okay, too much. People told us this. This is how to do it, right? It's all about the how, the how, the how. Everybody wants to know the how. How does a miracle happen? How does someone's life transformed? But this is such a bizarre how. Nobody's going to be like, let's bottle up that mud. Jesus spit mud, 1999. 20% of the time it works every time. Heal your eyes, right? Nobody would do that because nobody would buy it. The how doesn't make any sense at all. So what I think was going on is that this man had nothing left when he told people his story except to tell them who. See, I want to give you three points today. And the first one, when you're telling your story, the first thing is you don't need to explain how, just explain who. You don't need to know the intricacies of how everything happened or, or what event or I read this book or I memorized this verse and, and then I went to this church and it wasn't the normal Sunday service, it was the men's group on Saturday morning and that was how Jesus showed up in my life. Okay, those are like ancillary details. Everybody's story is unique that way. There is a how, but everybody's how is different. So if you tell someone the how, it's all about the how, then they're going to try it and it might not work. But when you tell them the who, it works every time. You don't need to explain how. Just explain who. It's Jesus. Point to Jesus. He's the one who changed me. I don't know. You don't need to know a background of soteriology. Sorry, that's a hard word. It's the theology of salvation. You don't need to know that. Some of you have been Christians your whole life and never heard that word. You don't need to know the ins and outs of how God works in salvation. You just say, it was him. Jesus did it. Point to who. It's not about the how. The how will be unique for every single person. It's about the who. And I say that, that that's why our stories stick. Um, we have a, a guy in our church. He's here this morning, David. And David is a respiratory therapist. And he only spends a little bit of time with patients, so he wanted like a way to, to kind of bridge conversations. So he got a patch on his bag that he carries everywhere that says Team Jesus on it. Team Jesus on his patch. And he, he carries that bag everywhere he goes. He gets into conversation. He prays for patients and all sorts of different things. Well, there was an emergency in, in one of the rooms, and the doctors and nurses were like, they couldn't remember David's name. They're like, somebody, get Team Jesus down here, stat! <laughs> Don't you love that? Get Team Jesus down here. He's representing Jesus where he goes. He even got in a little bit of trouble for that. But then they're like, okay, well, we can't really do anything about it. There's like these amendments in our Constitution or something. But yeah, he, he just would use that to bridge some conversation. He's always pointing to who, right? Team Jesus. It's about Jesus. And I love that David did that. Because here's the reality. I've shared this quote before. It is so good from preacher D.T. Niles. He, he says that Christianity is really one beggar telling another beggar where to buy bread. Where to find bread. That's it. Like, I don't know how it all works. Just go see Jesus. He's got the bread of life. I don't know. I don't get it. And that, that's so important for us to see. So this man in, in verse 7, you see, he, he got washed in the pool. He came home seeing. And then in verse 8, in verse 8, 
we can pull that up. In verse 8, it says that his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. Like, How can you see? We don't get it. We've only known you as blind. Verse 10. They ask how, right? That's the question. How? How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And in verse 11, he says, he replied, the man they call Jesus. See that? He's pointing to who? The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. This is his story. See how simple this story is? He's pointing to who the whole time, because the how is ridiculous. Nobody's going to try that at home. And that's why in verse 12 it says, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. I love how honest he is. He's like, this is what happened. Go to Jesus. It's the who, it's the who, it's the who. But then when they press him, like, well, we want to know. Like, where is this guy? Even that question, where is he? He's like, I don't know. We can be honest, guys. We can be authentic and say, I don't know the answer. Because people, when you tell them your story, will want to know, like, how theologically it works. Okay, well, if, if you're a Christian, then, does that mean all the other faiths are leading people to hell? Are you saying I'm going to hell? And you're like, whoa, whoa, I don't know. You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to have studied apologetics. You don't need to know theology. You don't even need to know what the word apologetics means. You don't. Just point him to who? Just point him to who? It's okay to say, I don't know. And then study a little bit and try to come back and say, hey, let me try to answer your question. But we just need to know who. And this bothers people. It, it sticks with them, right? It's, it's sticky. It sticks with them because these people hear it and they're like, okay, we got to figure this out. So they bring him before the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Like, we've got to figure out how this guy got healed. And they start questioning the man, peppering him with questions. And he's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I only know who, right? And then they, they, they're like, okay, we're done with you. They bring in his parents. We got to make sure he was actually born blind, right? We've got to investigate this. It's so sticky, his story, that they, they can't get rid of it. They ask even more questions to the parents, and they're like, sorry, yes, he was born blind, but, but he's an adult. Like, ask him what happened to him. I don't know. Mama doesn't know. Like, go talk with him again. They bring him in a second time to question him. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And in verse 24... It says, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. He must be a bad guy. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Before I was blind, after I see, that's all I can say. It's a before and after, right? Before there was Instagram and fake pictures, right? Before I was blind, now I see. That's all I can say. I got nothing else to it. So this is my second point for you guys today. If you want your story to stick, you don't need to know it all. Before and after is enough. That's it. Tell them, this is how I was before I met Jesus. This is what happened after. This is how I was before. This is how I after. That's how simple your story should be. Before and after. And this can be your testimony. We heard Nick and Kristen share about their testimony. That's, that's your story of faith, how you came, became to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how he saved your soul. You should know that story. But these stories don't have to just be your testimony. They could be stories like, I was broke, and then uh, as I studied the Bible, God helped me learn financial principles, and now I'm out of debt. Before I was broke, now I'm out of debt. Okay? It can be, before I was sick, and now I'm healed. 
It, it can be before I was lonely, and now I feel like I have community all around me. However Jesus has shown up in your life, that's your before and after story. Everybody has a before and after story if you're a follower of Jesus. Sometimes you have multiple before and after stories. So what is yours? You don't need to know it all. You don't have to have all those answers. This guy didn't. I mean, he just came to know Jesus. He didn't even like, get to go home first. He's like, sorry. Like, guys, I don't know. I, like, I'm still wet from the pool. Like, can you tell? Like, can I go home and change first? But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Before and after, it's that simple. And it sticks with people. They want to know more and more about it. I heard this story from Robert Coleman in one of his books. And he was talking about a college gal and, and this, this college student. She was on a bus going to Cincinnati, Ohio. So it was a long bus trip. And while she was on the trip, she op opened up her Bible to read it, right? And as she's reading this Bible, um, somebody next to her, and like, what are you reading? She's like, well, this is a great opportunity. She's like, well, this is the Bible. And then she shared her story about how God had saved her and redeemed her. It was her story, right? Her testimony. She, this is how I was before. This is how I'm after. And the guy was like, that is an amazing story. you got to tell it to my friend. So he got up from his seat, moved over across the aisle, sent his seat friend over there. And he's like, tell him that story. So she starts telling the second guy the same story. This is how I was before Jesus, and this is how I'm after. And as she's telling the second guy the story, there's an older gentleman in the seat in front of her. And he says, what would you say? Can you speak up? I can't hear you. And she notices there's a lady across the aisle, too, who's kind of like leaning in trying to listen. So she just asks the group of people around her, like, does everybody want to hear my story? And they're like, yeah. So she stands up and loudly proclaims to the whole bus her story of how Jesus saved her, how she was before Jesus and how he changed her. When they got to Cincinnati, the bus driver was like, well, do you got anything else? And she's like, all I got left is to say hallelujah. Like, that's it. Hallelujah. Like, how did God put these people? But everybody wants to know our story. They really do, because stories stick. And when we tell them, this is how I was before, this is how I'm after, they're going to scratch their heads a little bit. What? How? Huh? Like these Pharisees, that we got to keep asking questions. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. How did he heal? It doesn't make sense. And I'd love to tell you all that, like, every person who's going to hear your story is going to be converted, like, on the spot. But that's not what happens to this man, is it? In fact, the Pharisees, they kick him out of community. They're like, you can't even be part of our religious people anymore. They kick him out. And this can happen. You may face your own new social stigma, get kicked out of your family, get kicked out of your social group for being one of those weirdo Christians when you tell your story. But, but maybe this is the important thing for us to see. I, I want you to see how this story ends because if you jump down to verse 38, I'm sorry, verse, is that where we're at? 35. Skip two pages. <laughs> I'm going to get into Lazarus now. Okay, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he found this man who was formerly blind, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's what Jesus called himself. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. This guy's just open to anything, right? His life's changed. Verse 37. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And I believe this wasn't just that you've seen me with your eyes, you've seen me with your heart. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. 
Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I want to end with that verse. That's as far as we're going to read today in this passage. Because a lot of us think that I have to share my story just perfectly, just so. Got to have it all down, written perfectly and rehearsed so that when I tell it, I can save someone's soul. But guess what? You cannot save anyone. Let me repeat. You cannot save anyone. Jesus saves, not you. So this is our third point, and this is important for us because I think it gives us actually the most boldness of all. You don't need to save them. Just share your story. You don't. You could say your story wrong. You could quote the the Bible verse and give them the wrong Bible verse. Jesus still can work through it. I've seen it happen again and again and again. You may stumble. They may poke a hole in your story and you're like, yeah, you're right. I have no idea how to respond to that. I have no idea the Christian view of of that social issue. Like, I I don't know. I don't know. But you share your story. Let Jesus take care of the rest. You don't need to save them. Just share your story. Just share your story. And that is so powerful for people. It sticks with them. I want to challenge you guys because you need to start praying to share your story. I was really challenged as I read this book. I was like, man, it's been a a while in personal conversation where I've shared my story. I'll I'll be honest. So I started praying like, God, give me someone to share a story with. And I I remember praying that on a Sunday. And I went that week to uh, get my hair cut. And I go to the same lady like every time. And I've invited her to church like 20 times. Like every time I see her, I invite her to church. Not interested at all. I try. I like, here's my wife. She's singing this week. You should come. No, not interested. But that time, that week, she asked me, she's like, how did you get into being a pastor anyways? I was like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you about how when I was 18 and knew I was called to be a pastor, I was not following Jesus. And I spent a night in a jail cell after breaking and entering into a warehouse just doing whatever I wanted, and I just expected to receive this divine spanking. I mean, I've told this story a thousand times. I just expected this, and God showed up, and I knew that I was forgiven and loved in that moment. Like, right then I was forgiven, even though I knew better and deserved judgment. I knew he had saved me and forgiven me, not because of anything good I had done, and I was like, how could I not then tell everybody about Jesus? And she was like, oh, maybe I'll check out your church sometime. Thank you, God, because our stories are sticky, and I don't know what's going to happen with her life, but I hope that it sticks with her, that story, so that at some point, maybe it's the moment where she's finally admitting, like, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I'm having a hard time, I got something in my life. Maybe then she'll remember my story. She'll come to church. She'll pray to accept Jesus Christ. I don't know, but stories stick like that. Don't worry about people rejecting you. They will. It's what happened to this man. They'll think you're crazy. They'll think you're foolish. They're like, oh, good for you. Condescending. You're like, yeah, but they heard my story. And maybe, I have a friend who's like, I just want to put a pebble in people's shoe. I just want to put that pebble in people's shoes so that they walk for the rest of their life and they're like, ah, got to get that thing out of my shoe. But they can't because the story sticks. That's what we got to do. Just tell them the story. Let God do the rest. You don't have to save people. Just share your story. Story stick. And I want you guys to see this video from Tony in our church, whose story I think really stuck. Uh, hi, my name is Tony Niehaus, and I've been at Arise for about two months now. My wife and I just moved back to Colorado 
Uh, so my mom uh, passed away somewhat unexpectedly in July, um, and I was able to be with her for the last couple days of her life. Uh, she really wasn't in good shape when I saw her. I was she wasn't able to talk to me. I never really had a conversation with my mom over those 25 years where I just kind of laid out what I believe and give, give an opportunity to, to invite her and, and uh, to make the invitation for her to come and follow Jesus as well. I feel like God just gave me some sense of boldness and maybe some sense of urgency too. Like, you know, my mom was only 68 years old, so I just felt like I had more time. You know, it just gave me this sense of, I, I have to share my faith with the, with the people around me. I can't just keep it to myself. We're afraid to share our faith because maybe we don't want to steer people the wrong way. Like I might say the wrong thing or I might turn them away from Jesus because I said the wrong thing. And God is just bigger than that. Like God uses us to lead people to faith, but God is the one who does the saving. It's not us. So we just have to be willing to just have those conversations with people. I mean, me sitting there with my mom and sharing my faith it sort of built my own faith up because it was like, wow, I really believe this. Like my mom is about to die and this is the most important thing that I could tell her right now and I have to tell her. It sort of strengthened my own faith that I really believe this. So let's not wait the next time until somebody else is about to die. Like, let's tell them now when we when we have life with them, when we do fellowship with them. It was a very powerful time with my mom. I, I do feel like the Spirit of God was present in that conversation, in, the, in the sharing that with her. My dad had asked me if I would give the eulogy at her service, and I did. And my dad had asked me, um, you know, he just, he didn't, he didn't give an agenda about what I should say. And I spent probably half the eulogy talking about memories of my mom, but but I also knew I really wanted to share with, with the folks that were there and with my family that was there, my testimony. And so I did, I kind of laid it out for them. I said, uh, you know, the ex basically the same things I said to my mom that, that day. I, I shared with her uh, my conversion experience and then I just laid out the gospel for them and, and said, you know, that, that Jesus loves you and, and that you can come to him freely, uh, that his forgiveness is there for you and it, it was, uh, I think it was a really powerful moment. I try to live my faith in, in all aspects of my life as we all should, but then God opens these doors for conversation and don't run away from that. Like step into that uh, because cause God can move in all these different places and all these different facets of our lives. Wow, isn't that a cool story from Tony? Thank you, Tony, for sharing that. So, how did Jesus show up in your story? Remember, it's about the who, not the how. So when did he come into your life? Or when did he show up big? And, and then what's the before and after? Like, what changed about your life? And, and then the third thing, you don't have to save people. Just tell them. Just share your story. So I want to give you guys a moment right now to think about that. What's my story? And who is God leading me to share with? Uh, you can take out your phone. I really encourage you to take out your phone. Maybe take a little note right now. While you're there, if, if you're watching online, you can have a piece of paper. Maybe you have that in your purse. Pull it out. Let's take a minute right now. What is your story? How has Jesus shown up?
All right, I really encourage you to take some time, write that out. We do that for everybody that shares their baptism stories. We make them fill out a form so they write out their story of how Jesus saved them. And it's really cool. You guys get to see a lot of these videos. And, and we had a woman last week accept Jesus Christ, you know, and she was come, talking about coming from a Roman Catholic background. And I talked during the week with a woman who's brand new to our church coming back, like trying to figure out faith for herself with the Roman Catholic background. She said, wow, that story really spoke to me. So you never know how your story will stick, but it does. It's powerful for other people. So share your story and you might see someone's life transformed. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for coming into our lives, saving us, healing us. Those of us, we've seen you show up so many ways, Jesus, and, and we wanna share you with others. Lead us, give us opportunities this week to share our story and give us the boldness to follow through and do it. Even if we don't know what we're doing, even if we're terrified, give us the boldness to do it and let our stories stick with people until they are saved. Amen. Now, let me tell you this. Maybe some of you are brand new. Somebody brought you here. You're watching online. Someone sent this to you, and you don't know what you believe at all. The story of the Bible is that Jesus loves you so much that he came down from heaven to serve you, to love you, and then to die on a cross to forgive you. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're given new life now and eternal life forever with him in heaven. That's a good story, and we all have a chance to be a part of it. So if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to do that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say a prayer. If you believe today to say this prayer, to repeat after me and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you will leave here changed, and that will be your story. So would you, everybody please bow your heads with me, close your eyes. And if you're a Christian, say this prayer out loud to give somebody courage around you to say it out loud for the first time. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare, Jesus is Lord. I receive your gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and share my story that others might be saved. Now with eyes closed all around, if you said that prayer for the first time, if Jesus right now, today is your Lord and Savior, for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. So put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put that hand in the air if you made Jesus your Lord and Savior. You can put that hand up. You can put that hand up. Put it up. Lord God, thank you so much for saving souls in our midst, for helping people follow you. And Lord God, I just pray that we'd all go out here bolder to share our story. Amen.